how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode is brought to you by IronJohnGear.com. In between your creative pursuits, make sure to check out Iron John Gear for top apparel, footwear, fitness items, outdoor supplies, sports gear, and much more. Visit the website for top deals on things like lanterns, backpacks, tents, snow clothing, bomber hats, sunglasses, fishing gear, and more. Visit ironjohngear.com today and save money on your next adventure. In addition to Iron John Gear, make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Gloria Calderon Kellett started writing material for herself in a non-Latino Hollywood. In this interview, the writer-creator talks about working with Cameron Crowe, where she was his second assistant, moving from plays to television, self-studying television at the Paley Center, writing for How I Met Your Mother, and working with the iconic Norman Lear, who's known for All in the Family and the Jeffersons. Well, initially I started out as an actor in, in college, and I was finding it difficult to find uh, roles that were right for me. Uh, it seemed like, um, at that time anyway, Latina roles were a little bit limited, and I thought, gosh, there surely must be like a young lawyer or a teacher or something uh, where I don't have to put on an accent, and because obviously this is how I talk. Uh, right. I don't have an accent. Um and it, it just seemed like there was sort of a, a very limited amount in how Hollywood sort of perceived of, uh, of a Latino at that moment in time. And so really it started as a means of just writing material for myself. And as I put it out there, people came up to me and it really resonated with them. And they were like, do you have more? Do you have more? And so I started with theater and that was, uh, you know, I went to grad school in London and uh, I studied performance and playwriting, got a master's degree and came back. And once I came back to Los Angeles, I decided to put that. I knew that world. I knew how to put up a play. So putting up my own work and being in it and casting, uh, you know, various women of different shapes, sizes, and colors um, really made people start to come to me. So I was fortunate in that uh, once I started putting my work out there, the feedback was really positive, and, and that's sort of how I got my agent and manager, et cetera. But I knew nothing about television writing. You know, I'd studied playwriting, and uh, I was fortunate at the time to be uh, Cameron Crowe's second assistant 
Uh, a friend of mine from college um, was working for Cruz Wagner, and they were making Vanilla Sky, and mm-hmm. he needed a little extra help. So uh, they brought me on, and it was really in working for Cameron. Cameron was the first one to say, you know, plays are a lot like TV shows, you know, a lot, a lot like those old sitcoms. That's really just a play. And I'd never really thought about writing for television before. I thought that the the move in Los Angeles and Hollywood would be to go from playwright to screenwriter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really him that, that urged me to look into television. And I went to uh, the Paley Center, which is um, incredible. I don't know if you've ever had the, the privilege of going over there. But it's an archive. It's basically a library of every television show ever. Mm-hmm. And I just self-studied. TV and sort of taught myself uh, television writing. And so I wrote a spec and, you know, I was putting up the plays in conjunction with that. And that sort of all led to me being represented and starting my journey as a television writer. Mm-hmm. A lot of your credits are comedy based. Were your plays like comedic in nature? Or how- comedic. Yes. Yes. Because that was another thing I would, I would find is that I, you know, I'm funny and, <laughs> and people would always tell me I'm funny, but on uh, our representation on television is always very serious. Mm-hmm. And I was like, gosh, really? <laughs> like everyone I know is so funny. So uh, that's just, that was just natural to me. I'm not a very, uh, you know, I, I, I've tried writing drama. It's not as natural to me as writing the comedic stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I think even if I were, were on a one hour, it would have to be a comedic one hour. Mm-hmm. in order to satisfy my creative juices. Mm-hmm. So what was kind of the next transition there? I see, like, How I Met Your Mother and Rules of Engagement. What led to those writing for those series? Well, you know, every year we have sort of a staffing season, and you get material and you get meetings uh, based on your credits and your title. And How I Met Your Mother came along because actually my very first show was Quintuplets, and I met Carter Bays and Craig Thomas who were the creators of How I Met Your Mother, when I was on quintuplets with them. And they saw my plays and they saw what I was doing and they said, you know, we feel like you'd be really right for our show that we're developing. So when that show came on, they asked me to come on board and that was how I, I had the privilege of working over there. And I worked there until I had my daughter and then I took a year off uh, to just focus on being a mommy. And when I went back to work, I really wanted to continue with multicam and Rules of Engagement, you know, David Spade is, I I was a huge David Spade fan. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went over there and got to work there until I had my son, actually. So it was, comedy was so wonderful, and I had such a positive experience in comedy rooms. And then after that, I sort of wanted to try a couple of different things. So I tried uh, Soap. I was on Devious Maids, and that was pretty fun. Um, But I then wanted to try single camera because I'd never tried that before either. So I did mm-hmm. Mixology, which was on ABC and unfortunately got canceled. Mm-hmm. And uh, and from there, I got an offer um, to go on iZombie with Rob Thomas. I'm a huge Diane Ruggiero Wright and Rob Thomas fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a big Veronica Mars. I loved that show. So I wanted to go over there and try procedural. And I am not a procedural writer. So <laughs> I love them. And I remain a fan, but I don't want to write procedural. So it was kind of great to assess, you know, at the 10-year po- mark in my career, to sit and go, all right, what do I want to do now? And I really longed to go back to comedy and to go back to multi-camera because it was the, you know, the most similar to playwriting of anything I've done. And then this opportunity came with Norman, and it was just kismet. Mm-hmm. I'm going to backpedal just a little bit. What were some of your, when you were self-teaching yourself, what were the TV shows you were watching? What were some of your favorite inspirations? 
Oh, my goodness. So much. Uh, I loved Wonder Years. I loved uh, my so-called life. Those are things I grew up on that I loved. Uh, I was a big Cheers fan, even though I was too old to be watching a show about a bar. I'm sure. I mean, too young to be watching a show about a bar. Right. you know, Frasier, uh, you know, I liked Friends. All of those shows were, were definitely favorite. Oh, and also, obviously, you know, Growing Pains, Cosby Show. Um, those were Family Ties I loved. I really loved those old-school sitcoms. And then, you know, Norman's shows were really uh, shows that I would watch when I came home from school in repeat. Those weren't really on prime time when I was growing up. Right. I sort of missed the, the boat on, on them. Uh, but once I got to know what, all, once I heard about him, obviously that was in my my uh, education as well. So what are some more details? I'm sorry. Uh, what are some more of the details about how this reboot came about? Um, like how did Netflix get involved in that kind of thing? Well, it really started with uh, Brent Miller, who is Norman's uh, producing partner, mm-hmm. and he had the idea to look at Norman's work and and see what what could be uh what what a reboot what what would qualify for a reboot um to to see if it inspired something new and he was the one that looked at one day at a time and thought oh it'd be interesting to see this with the latino family and he brought it to norman he was excited i think they had already started talking to netflix and wetting their appetite and they seemed really interested so then um mike royce came on board and mike is you know, men of a certain age and enlisted and everybody loves Raymond, which he won Emmys for. Uh, and once they all got in a room, they, they determined, I guess, that they needed um, somebody Hispanic actually in there <laughs> with them. <laughs> so they met, they met with me. Uh, they, I think they met with every, all the, all the big uh, Latino writers of which there are not enough, certainly, but I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get Norman's um, approval and when Mike and I sat down and started talking about the show, it was, I mean, it, it just was flowing out of us. And uh, we, we took, you know, it's really more of an homage. I mean, when people say remake, that's not really um, accurate because we're, we're, not, we're not using characters from the original show. You know, right. this is sort of, it's, we're, we're taking the single mother and we're making her modern. Like, what is today's single mother going through? Norman is a veteran. Uh, he flew, like, 52 combat missions in World War II. And so mm-hmm. veteran issues are very important to him. So we made her a veteran so we could talk about some of those things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and made, uh, made it a son and a daughter because by adding the Rita character, we felt like we had a lot of women and we wanted to include a, a male point of view. And I have a daughter and a son. Mike has a daughter and a son. So it felt very uh, ripe with story in our own homes that we could mine for uh, for funny. Mm-hmm. What's it like to? How do you balance the like the seriousness of the the military mother, the veteran aspect with the comedy? How do you guys kind of go about that? Is there a ratio, or how does that all work? No, you know we don't think about it in that way. I think we we talk about these issues. The room is really an incredible group of people. We have writers from 22 to 94 when Norman's in the room. Uh, and we are varied, you know, we have, uh, there's, we have half a Latino room, which is exciting because it's El Salvadorian and Mexican and Cuban and Puerto Rican. And we have, you know, a, a couple of Jewish guys and we have a couple of white guys and we have, a, and so the the conversation that naturally happens when you get a wonderful group of diverse people together 
is organic because it's what we're really talking about stuff. You know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And in talking about it, there's natural comedy that comes from, from it. You know, you can look at anything and make it funny, even really dark stuff. Mm-hmm. So it kind of goes through the, the Mike and Gloria lens and comes out the other side in the room pitches to that. But it, it's, we try to make it really organic. I don't know that we're like writing jokes as much as we're writing uh, really strong characters that once something is filtered through their point of view, has a comedic sensibility. Mm-hmm. Can you go over a little bit more of the logistics? We usually speak with um, film writers. A lot of the interviews we do, we're like, it's just a person in a room writing. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about the writer's room? And do you ever break down in one person's writing uh, an episode? Or is it usually all as a team? How does it all work? Sure. So every writer's room is a little bit different in television. The way our room works is that Mike and I have a pretty clear sense of uh, a direction that we want to go in usually. So we will walk in the room and say, for example, we want to talk about sexism. What's modern, what's modern sexism? And we'll talk about that a little bit. And we'll have sort of some ideas of, of what we want to say, but we also want to hear from the room. What do the women, what types of sexism have the women experienced? You know, what, uh, what do the guys feel comfortable with and uncomfortable with? And so we start there, and then we, once the conversation gets to a point where we find some interesting nuggets, we try to find the backbone of a story. You know, what is the story we're telling? Certainly the topic is interesting, but what is the story? What journey does, does our main character, Penelope, have to go through? And what, you know, we, we still follow a, you know, inciting incident, progressive complication, you know, climax and resolution format. It just happens quickly within a half an hour. Right. And so we, we put her on that journey, and, and we try to uh, make it organic and make it, make it seem natural and from character, and what does she learn and how does she grow, or does she learn and grow? Is it somebody else's journey uh, that, that is going alongside hers, and it's that character's turn to, to kind of make a change of, of uh, conscience, you know? So it, it all still sort of functions that way. We just tend to break them together. And then once the story is roughly broken in like a beat sheet form, so maybe a, uh, we know all of the locations. It's, it's a multicam, so not a lot of sets, which is kind of nice because we can have these nice long drawn-out scenes where we really get to whittle away at a, at a subject matter and a, at a conversation. And once, that is, uh, once that's beat out, you know, we'll have one writer go away or a team if they're, uh, if they're a writing team. We'll have them go and do an outline. And in that outline, they will include some sample dialogue, some sample jokes. Uh, but really, the, the outline is to make sure that once it's filled out, once it's fleshed out a little bit more, it makes sense. It still has all of those necessary story elements to make it interesting for somebody to watch. And unlike network, where you need, uh, act, you know, the act breaks build to commercial breaks. Right. We don't have that. So... We, we can kind of take a little bit longer and breathe a little bit more. And what we do tend to do with the Netflix model is each episode, at, you know, we try to lead you into the next. We try to serialize it somewhat so mm-hmm. that you want to continue to watch. Mm-hmm. So that's roughly how it goes. And then, one, you know, they'll, they'll send us the outline. We'll read it. We'll give them notes. They'll have a second pass. Then it goes to Sony, and then it goes to Netflix. They give us their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we make adjustments accordingly or have a conversation if there's any disagreements. And then one writer will go away, or team will go away and write a draft of it. Then mm-hmm. the draft will come back to Mike and I, 
we will either rewrite or sometimes just go to the room and do some punch up in the room. And then we have a table read and that, and then the sort of the production week begins with multicam, you know, we table read on a Wednesday, then we hear it out loud. We get notes. We talk about it amongst ourselves. We make those changes. The actors get a new script Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon. We watch it. We watch like a very informal run through Again, the same process again where we make notes, rewrite, send it out. Friday, net, Network and Studio comes and sees the all the revisions that we've made up on its feet like a play where the actors are holding their scripts. Mm-hmm. Then we take Friday night to do the same thing. And then Monday is usually pre-shoots and rehearsal. And Tuesday we shoot the show in front of a live audience. Okay, well, um, is this your first um... – Live audience show? Have you done other shows? No, no. Rules of Engagement was live audience as well. Okay, right, okay. And and then, you know, play. I've been doing these plays forever. So while we don't rewrite during a live play, uh, certainly the the process of of hearing it and adjusting and hearing it and adjusting is something I'm very familiar with. So it it felt really natural to me. Mm -hmm. Are there any, like, um, like a list of advice or rules of advice you have that you've learned over the last, like, decade of writing that you would like to pass on to future writers? Well, yes, that is such a broad question. Can you make it more specific, Do you, like, about starting your career or once you're in a writer's room? Or I have so much to say, Brock. I do have one. <laughs> let me try to make it a little more specific. I've got one question I try to ask but I always phrase differently. But is there anything that you used to believe when you first started that has changed since you've been writing professionally? Yes, yes. I mean, I'm sure many things, but the, mm-hmm. I think for this is this is so specific to television. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think when I started writing for television, I thought my job was to bring my unique voice to the show, mm-hmm. and that is true. Certainly, you're getting hired for your for your specific point of view. But once you're on a writing staff, your job really is to emulate the voice of the showrunner. Mm-hmm. So in the room when you're breaking story, you definitely bring your own personal thing. But when you're writing, your job is to write like the show. Try to get into the mindset of the show and write the show, not necessarily write your show. And so I think that sometimes I would go off on script very early on in my career. I would go off and write my version of that show, what mm-hmm. I would do if I was the boss, right? And right. that's not – no, that's not what you do. <laughs> I should have been writing like I should write it like Tom Hertz would write Rules of Engagement, not like Gloria would write Rules of Engagement. Right. So once I was able to, once that I cracked that code that, yes, in the, when we're breaking story, when we're telling personal stories or we're telling funny things or we're pitching for the character, that's where you bring your personal touch. But when you're writing, you really need to write in the style of the show, of the show that's already been established, the show that your boss is making. Basically, showrunners can't, we can't write all the episodes because there's so much to do. So your job is to write it as best, uh, write their show as best you can. Mm-hmm. You mentioned changing some things based on the audience. Are there any like principles that stand out that you've changed, or is it usually just individual scenarios? I think it would just be, you know, we never would for our show. We never change uh, storylines. You're really just changing jokes. You're really just hearing that, like, the live audience is perfect for jokes because it tells you what lands and what doesn't. If something's not getting something and we really want the audience to laugh in that moment, then we'll, then we'll try to write a funnier joke on the fly. Or we also have alts. We allow the writers 
to write alts during the week so mm-hmm. that we also have a, a book of alternative jokes ready for us at the, you know, somebody can hand it to us. And there's stuff that's pre-written. And sometimes somebody will come up with a, just a funny one-liner right there in the moment, and we'll try that out and see how it lands with the audience. So for our show, I know sometimes shows do completely huge overhauls on the floor. We don't do that. We're really just um, making a line funnier. Mm-hmm. Is there any uh, improv that finds its way to the set? Uh, you know, we allow it for improv during the week for the producer's run-through. So the director sometimes, you know, Phil Lewis was known for this. He would find a little something funny and try it out for us in the in the in the producers uh run through that would happen mm-hmm. on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and if it works we keep it. But other than that, we really do stick to the script. Okay. Especially for the live shows, yeah. Right. Um what do you find to be the most difficult step in the writing process? Uh difficult step. I mean, Hmm, that's a good question. I think I think that at the beginning when there's no story on the board, when you're looking at a white – we use dry erase boards, white dry erase boards, mm-hmm. and when it's blank, it's a little daunting. <laughs> but once we start putting words up there and then it starts to form a story, then I'm much more at ease. So I think probably the begin the story breaking. I think the story breaking. Also, you know, there's – it's you we're trying to with so much content out there we're really trying to tell something uh in a new way hopefully or with a different point of view so right. the struggle of trying to do that and doing it well is is something we really strive for so it's certainly i think the most challenging part mm-hmm. are there any other um like homages within this or even like easter eggs that date back to norman lear's other work is there anything that audience could look for besides you know besides the general plot and everything well, yeah, the set the set itself is an homage, a, a direct homage to the original set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the layout is almost identical, and they sort of had if you if you look at the original set and ours, they're they're really identical. And a funny Easter egg is on the door of the apartment. It is the same number as the original door, okay. and uh, we also I don't know where they are, but apparently. We have something of Bonnie Franklin's and something of Pat Harrington's that our lovely producer, Patricia Fast Palmer, has hidden on the set okay. to sort of uh, bless the set so, uh, so that, you know, they're, they're sort of with us in spirit. Right. Um, those, are, those are kind of the big things. Okay. And obviously we have a character named Schneider. He's a different Schneider than the original Schneider, but we did the homage with, by keeping the name for fun. Right. Okay. I've got one or two more for you. Um, this is kind of the same question, but as far as advice for upcoming writers, I guess if someone were to be starting out with no real experience, um, what would you recommend they do if they wanted to try and get a TV show on the air or at least get their foot in the door? Yes. I think that we are really blessed to live in a country that has libraries. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so much out there. I mean, you know, with creative screenwriting, you know, mm-hmm. people can have access to books and to information without taking a class. And the fact that that's out there and available, that people can self-teach, because I I think that people get very daunted by, like, I live in Ohio or I live in, you know, like somewhere where they don't have direct access perhaps to uh, a a set even, to know what that looks like, to know what the world of a set looks like or what it's like. Uh, But you can online get almost any script, 
mm-hmm. of, a, of an existing television show. Uh, there are certainly so many books about screenwriting and television writing now. Uh, and I think that people can, if there's an interest, they can start to teach themselves. And also with Hulu and Netflix and all of these wonderful streaming, um, there's, there's an opportunity for people to watch those shows and study them the way I did really. And once they have studied it, I mean, like anything, I think people, you know, you have to, a lawyer has to be a lawyer for 10 years before being a lawyer. So, you know, you have to go to school and learn about it. You can't just say, I'm going to be a writer now. Where's my show? It takes a while. You have to learn how to do it. You have to learn how to do it and you have to put in the time. So that time may be reading a bunch of books and writing some terrible things before you finally latch on to your personal voice and figure out what it is that you do uh, that's better than any, you know, that you feel is your gift more than anyone else's. And once you kind of latch into what that is, then you can hopefully create more and more. And I also know a lot of writers that don't write a lot. You know, they have like one script. Mm-hmm. One script does not make you a writer. I mean, I must have a hundred scripts right. in my computer. I have so many things. They're not all finished. They're most of them are probably terrible. But I write and write and write and write and write and write and write. And that process makes you a better writer, and it makes you sort of refine what it is that you specifically have to say that no one else is maybe saying the way you would say it. Mm-hmm. They're not telling a story the way you would tell the story. So honing your craft. And then creating, creating, creating. And then once you feel like this is it, this is, I have something and it's, I think it's special, then it's trying to find representation to get you to the next stage of your, of your journey. Mm-hmm. When you're working on a script, um, if you ever like by yourself working on one, do you have any rituals that you stick to, like a time of day or anything else like that to write? Well, I'm a mommy of two, so I I just try to fit it in where I can, you know. But right. um, when I do when I do write scripts, I do write alone. I tend to I always like candles. Mm-hmm. I'm real girly like that, Brock. <laughs> I like to I like the room to smell real good. I put on a space heater, even though I'm in California, because I'm crazy <laughs> and I like to be 76 degrees. I like it to be so warm. I like other right. people to walk in and be uncomfortable because it's so delightfully hot and smells so good. Um, and then I get a big glass of ice water, and uh, and then there we go. That's right. it. Of music, you know, I usually, you know, I usually create a playlist mm-hmm. depending on what I'm writing. If I'm writing like sexy singles, I'll want like you know some fun sexy single music. And if I'm writing, uh, you know, for this show, I did listen to a lot of Cuban music just because, just to get in touch with that side of my my life again. You know, I don't listen mm-hmm. to Cuban music all the time, but it's real good. Mm-hmm. So I listened to a lot more Cuban music when I was writing this, uh, which I think is evident in the show. Okay. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share we didn't touch on about the series? This is mainly it. I'm also I'm I'm also uh, writing something else about my youth right now. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and uh, okay. had such a wonderful um, West Coast upbringing, and so I wanted to sort of talk about my youth a little bit. This show, you know, I'm. The main character is a, is a version of me, you know, Justina Machado, who plays mm-hmm. the character. Uh, I, I sort of feel like it's me had I gone into the military and had I had a different path. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it's filtered through her, and she, we've added so much for that actress because she's so incredible and inspired so much. So it morphed into sort of our baby. I feel like it's a Justina Machado, Gloria Calderon Kella baby is the character of Penelope. Mm-hmm. Um but I wanted to sort of think – I was just thinking about my youth a little bit. I wanted to sort of touch on funny teenage stuff. So that's what I'm working on now. 
Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.